Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Well, we had a week of isolation. Mm -hmm. And today is... March 24th. March 24th. It feels like I'm losing track of the days. I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, it's such an altered reality that we're living in these days. We've really never experienced anything like this. Yeah. So today we are recording it six days after our last update. I think the biggest things that have come into effect since then are really increasing the isolation. So increasing the social distancing. Social distancing are really recommending that you stay inside as much as possible and interact with as few people as possible and really just it's just family units is what we're recommending exactly and so daycares are closed schools are closed parents are getting into the groove of homeschooling or not getting into that groove because <laughs> i've heard of a lot of parents really appreciating teachers more than they ever have oh, now yeah. oh yeah oh yeah they, we're gonna go back to school and the teachers are gonna be getting a big raise I bet. Right. And a lot of kids home from college and parents managing the Wi-Fi capacity in their house because all those classes are online, right? Yeah, that can be really, really tricky. So we as healthcare providers are also learning to adjust. We're moving a lot of our clinics to video visits. Yes. We are, you know, trying to keep kids out of the hospital unless they really need to be there. To be so that the hospital is available for the expected surge of critically ill patients. Right. So let's get to it because I know that people are staying at home and they're wondering, what are we doing this for? What are we doing? Why are we making these, these big sacrifices in our daily routine? Let's remind all of our listeners why, why this is so important to do right now. This is a matter of life and death. That's why it's so important. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do this, the estimates are that we would have 2 million or more deaths in the U.S. alone mm-hmm. if, we, if, we, if we went around as business as usual. Okay. That's why this is so important. Right. That's a huge, huge number. Mm-hmm. And I know we're kind of, we're recording this in California and everyone is waiting for this like potential surge in patients. Mm-hmm. But we're already hearing. Or cases. So yeah. we're already seeing that. We're already seeing that in, in New York and New Jersey area where, where there's a, a very large increase in the number of cases. Mm-hmm. And so when would we expect that here in California? Hard to predict anything with this, but we do expect um, the big surge um, in most of the country to come sometime next month, sometime in April, probably over the the next two to four weeks or so. Okay. And so you expect that we'll be doing these same measures of isolation and staying at home for that time? I don't know because, I mean, there's a there's a conflict, right? And so we've heard in the news that on the federal level, there's been some talk about ending these um, extreme measures after just 15 days. And I think on the state level, we've heard of a lot of the state public health authorities saying, no, we really expect this to um, need to be in place to be effective probably for a minimum of 8 to 12 weeks. And so we're talking through through the rest of April, through the rest of May, and people are thinking, really, they're estimating that this is going to go on until June. Wow. 
But we are seeing in some of the other countries some of the cases going down now, right? Like in China, have has the caseload started to decrease a bit? Really, and and in China, they're starting to to relax the the social the social isolation recommendations. Yeah. So that's been a success story. Yes, yeah. and they and of course they really took dramatic action. Yeah. So one of the questions that we got um, since our last um, podcast was talking about why we need to do this and wouldn't it be better just to develop this herd immunity? Um, we know that with vaccination, if you get enough people vaccinated, that's what we say you can develop this herd immunity um, where some of the kids that are immunocompromised or can't get vaccines that we protect them. But does that relate to this situation as we stand now? Well, it kind of relates because that makes a lot of sense. And so we know for many vaccine preventable diseases like measles, for example, when we've had out, we had the outbreak last year of measles in the U.S. We had a lot of cases. Yeah. But, you know, that, that was a, a, just really a small number of cases compared to the number of, of cases for this infection because a large population in the U.S. is immunized and because some of the older adults are actually immune from having natural um, disease. Um, with this virus, with COVID-19, what we have is nobody in this country immune to it. Nobody immune from previous infection. Nobody immune from previous immunization. And so this is a, just an unprecedented situation where once we get spread, if you become, if you come in contact with somebody who it. has this infection, you will get the infection. And if you do get the infection, are you then immune to getting it again? We think so. We think that we're, you're immune for a year or more, maybe. We're not 100% certain, but that's what we're predicting. But that's why it, we can't count on the development of herd immunity. We could get there and get that, but what we would see is, is mass illness, mass devastation, and we would, see, we would see deaths more than we've seen in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And what we would also see is hospitals would not be able to take care of the patients if, if right. this is an explosive outbreak. So in order to prevent the explosive outbreak, and in order to make sure that the hospitals aren't overwhelmed and there's enough staff and beds for you if you get sick, that's why we're taking these extreme measures to slow the expected surge so that the healthcare system can take care of patients. Right, so that we're not overwhelmed as physicians in the hospital, nurses, everyone. Right. We right. want to be able to take care of all of the cases that we see. We want to be able to take care of you, right? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what doubling time means. We're hearing about the doubling time of the virus. Yeah, so you'll hear this um, in a couple ways. You'll hear the doubling time in terms of number of deaths or doubling times in terms of number of cases. And this is really just shows you that there's a logarithmic increase, not just a steady drip, drip, drip increase in the number of cases, but um, the doubling time for the number of cases um, or deaths that we're seeing in different parts of the world. So in the U.S., for example, um, the doubling time for the number of cases is um, uh, about three days. Worldwide, it's about seven days. So we're in the really... We're, we're it's really, doubling quickly. It's doubling more quickly in the U.S. compared to the rest of the world. And that's why we have all these dire projections that in the next week or two or three that's when we're going to see this big surge of cases, and that's why these dramatic actions are being, um, taken. Are being taken. Exactly. So let's talk more about testing. Mm -hmm. When we talked last week, we were ramping up. 
And yes. I, as I'm currently working in the hospital, mm-hmm. I've seen that we have been able to more easily send testing on patients and we're getting the results back sooner, right. which and is you, great. You know who you call for those for pediatric patients. That's, <laughs> you. that's me. I'm the guy who approves it because we, we're really happy that we have it um, in our hospital now. Um, it's, it's much faster. The commercial labs are having delays of a week or two because they've been overwhelmed with demand. But yeah. we've got a limited number of tests. And so we still do limit those to the, the highest priority patients um, in our hospital. But that's going to be changing soon with these drive-through clinics. So we're getting increased testing capacity, newer machines. We need to make sure people might have heard of the reagent shortages in order to run these tests. So we have to make sure you have enough supplies. And then you can open up these drive-through clinics that make it easier for people to get tested. So we're, we anticipate that very soon, yes. Yeah, and is it something that at some stage, maybe not now that we're having the shortage, you may consider getting tested even if you're not showing major signs just to kind of facilitate increased quarantine because right now it's still like you may still go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. that's an essential trip um if you went if you have just like an allergic cough for example Mm -hmm. um and you went to one of the drive-through tests and it was negative you might feel a little bit better about going to the grocery store you might feel better, but I'm, but can you imagine going to the grocery store and you're coughing? Everybody's going to give you the look, like get out of here, right? I know. So that's still that's still a bad look. Uh, yeah. Okay. But so right now you're not recommending. You wouldn't recommend getting one of these tests if you're asymptomatic or mild, like no. or just like you think you have allergies, but you just want to make sure. No, or even if you're sick and you and you know that it's a cold, which we know that this can cause. If you've got a cold, stay home. We don't care what's causing it, right? It could be COVID-19. It could be the flu. It could be rhinovirus. It could be a whole bunch of viruses that are out there. Well, you say people don't care, but people do care. I, I'm, yeah, let me back up. I think <laughs> people do care, and it would be, it would be interesting to know, yeah. right? But yeah. from the medical point of view, from the medical professional point of view, we, we would really like to prioritize these tests yes. now for those who need them most, which would be those who are need to be in the hospital, those who are are in the ICU. We want to know um, what they have so we can treat them appropriately. I guess the drive-through clinics you wouldn't think would be people that need to go to the hospital. No, the drive-through clinics could be useful, though, for people who are at increased risk for disease. So, for example, if they're older adults or if they've got underlying medical issues um, and might be at more risk for severe disease, then you'd want to know for, for them because then you'd want to monitor them more closely. More closely. That mm-hmm. makes sense. That makes sense. So we've talked a lot about hand washing. We have. Is, and... there, is there more to say? <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be because I joke all the time now when I'm in my bathroom washing my hands and it says like antibacterial, you know, and I'm like, uh-huh. well, I hope you're antiviral too. <laughs> uh-huh. um, That's right. But <laughs> is there any special soap? that we should be looking out for? You know, the soaps work. It's like a physical thing, right? It's like the lather, the physical thing. It like gets rid of the virus. So any kind of soap, whether it's antibacterial, regular soap, dish soap, all those soaps will are, are adequate and work well. Okay. How about hand sanitizers? So hand sanitizers is a little bit trickier because there are some hand sanitizers that are not alcohol-based. Um, so those can work well against other organisms like bacteria. But against this virus, against viruses in general, you're going to want to use the hand sanitizers that are minimum 60% alcohol. Okay. Okay. And so making them at home... 
Not such a good idea. Well, you can make them at home and you can make them with the alcohol. But what I've heard now is that all the ingredients are very difficult to find. So good luck. Mm -hmm. So what about disinfecting around the house? Is this the type of thing we need to use bleach for? Is just like a standard, you know, Clorox wipe or whatever. Okay. <laughs> right. So bleach works really well. Bleach is really effective. Um, but there are some things that work better than others. And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll on, our, on our website, we'll, we'll post um, one of the um, EPA lists of disinfectants that are effective against this virus. And so it lists the active ingredients and it also lists them by product name because not all products are, um, are are effective against this virus. Oh, very interesting. I have to take a look at that. We got a few listener questions specifically. So now that we're all at home, we want to support our local businesses by doing things like buying gift cards or ordering takeout if, if they have it. So one of our listeners asked if we should be concerned about food deliveries um, if we feel if we should like microwave the food or heat it up in order to kill potential virus from the person that made the food, any thoughts about this? So the FDA is very clear that there is no transmission via food. It's it's transmitted via respiratory droplets. Um, so I've had this question too, and somebody said, "Well, what if I think that like this place isn't very sanitary and somebody coughed on the food?" Well, I'd say if you're worried about that, I wouldn't go to this place, right? You don't, you don't want to go to places that have like <laughs> higher standards. So I wouldn't worry about the food. Some people also worry about the containers mm-hmm. because people are touching them. And what if their hand hygiene isn't optimal or something? If you're concerned about that, you can wipe them off um, when you get home. I, I, I don't think that's a major risk. and Really, the major risk. And Okay. We also got a question asking when you might predict when our community will be returning back to normal. Well, all the all the models suggest that this is going to be very active for um, approximately the na- next 8 to 12 weeks. And that brings us into June, and that brings us to warmer weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that this is a winter respiratory virus, so there's the opportunity for the weather to be our ally and so maybe there to be decreased transmission at least through the summer before it ramps up again in the fall and the winter. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. So we know that people are getting antsy already inside, but it's important to make lifestyle modifications to make this more of a something that can last. Something that can last, yeah. I mean, if we do go back on these, if these public health measures are rescinded and people go out and about um, and have more social interaction and less social distancing, we're going to have a resurgence and then we'll just have to reapply these. So it's possible that that, you know, the, the policymakers might decide that that's preferable due to the economic damage that these drastic actions have, that there might be this series of dialing up the social distancing, dialing them down, dialing them back up. I mean, this could go on for a while. Yeah, definitely. So we hope that you guys are kind of settling into things that you're finding activities that you find enjoyable and fun to do as a family, including playing outside, doing art projects. I know there's some awesome like children's book authors who are reading on social media and different websites once a week. 
Um, visit the museum virtually. Go on, go online. Ooh. A lot of the museums and zoos um, have have webcams um, and let let you view a lot of different stuff. So it can be very educational for the children too. Yeah. And make sure you video chat with those family members that you're not getting to see as often. I have gotten to video chat with people that I didn't even talk to very frequently before this <laughs> uh -huh. happened. So I feel like it's bringing people together in new ways. Um, we, as pediatricians, want to be here to support you and your families, mm -hmm. even if you don't feel like you can come into the office. Many people are doing video visits. Um, reach out via messaging because your doctor still wants to be involved during right. this time. Right. So it's social distancing and we're hoping not to have social isolation. So stay connected. Definitely stay connected. And we'll be back for an update next week. Feel free to reach out via social media if you have any questions between now and then. Again, today is Tuesday, March 24th. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 